innovation is is something uh, very usual in the airline industry. So why don't we create a Netflix or Spotify of aviation whereby users would pay a single fee every month? Like airlines that would generate more than 35, 36% of ancillary revenue. Hi, welcome to Digital Airline, the podcast where we talk about airlines, digital transformation and e-commerce. My name is Enric Puig and uh, today's episode is sponsored by Newshore. Newshore is the e-commerce for airlines. Uh, with Newshore, airlines can increase their direct sales, increase their ancillary revenue and all this in a very simple and agile way. In today's episode, we talk with Juliana Ramirez, former Ancillary Revenue Director for Volaris. Uh, she explains how she managed to take the airline to the top positions in terms of Ancillary Revenue. She also talks about uh, her experience when implementing the, let's say, Netflix business model into the airline and much more. Juliana, so great to, to meet you again. How are you doing? Hey, Enrique, likewise. Uh, doing great. Uh, really, really very good from the side of the world. And super excited to be here with the, the digital airline uh, community and audience. Thanks. Thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, no. Thanks, thanks to you for, for joining us in this, uh, the very first issue of our uh, Digital Airline podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this and I, I wanted you to be our first guest because uh, I know you, you have a lot to say about uh, our industry and you've been very, very innovative. But uh, Juliana, uh, uh, thanks, thanks, Juliana before, before we start, for those that maybe don't know you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and more specifically, how did you get to, to, to the airline industry? For sure, for sure. I feel so special opening up this 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 podcast. So again, thank you so much. I be, I feel very humbled. Um, well, yes, I'm passionate about the airline industry, of course, um, and the travel industry in general. Uh, to be super honest, I since I was little and I was studying uh, industrial engineering, I was always super keen of the of two things: the airline industry, the travel industry. And uh, obviously the innovation and design thinking. I've always considered myself a woman of ideas. So uh, after I graduated in, in school in Mexico, I joined right away Volaris. Volaris Airlines is the ultra low cost carrier in Mexico uh, with uh, the biggest microchip right now and the leader uh, in, in, in Mexico. And at that point, it was 2010, and Volaris had a new project, a different value proposition that was typically given in, in, in the Mexican market. So I was driven right away by those two passions, travel and innovation. Uh, so yeah. I joined when the airline was starting, uh, little by little growing. Uh, I started managing alliances, then projects that would be in, important for the airline in terms of revenue generation. Then the airline started to to pass from a, a phase of ultra low cost low cost sorry to ultra low cost, and that's where I started growing super fast and finding my way with more projects and jumping in the managerial escalator to be responsible of around 35% of the um, revenues of the company, including 
non-ticket revenues, you know, all the fees of seats, packs, changes for bundling, etc. The loyalty programs, all the memberships, okay. the subscriptions, payment options, third-party and third-party services. So um, I did uh, in Volaris a little bit more than nine years, um, and I consider myself a truly passion woman uh, of the travel industry that in insists on staying in in this industry that has been so disrupted absolutely absolutely uh you mentioned two two concepts uh innovation and travel uh right do you think innovation is is something uh, very usual in the airline industry in general uh, in general i think it depends how you see definitely it's very hard it's very, very hard to innovate in, in an airline industry. And that's what I pride myself for uh, after bringing a couple of products that really uh, trace a precedent in the ultra low cost carrier world. If you think about the small subset of airlines that define themselves as low cost or ultra low cost, some of them are doing interesting things, but in general, no, like airlines are super busy with, you know, operation, customer service, getting on time, uh, getting the passengers safe from one place to another. So you really which have is, to find your way. Which is important. At the end of the day, obviously it's, it's the core. Of it, but but uh, maybe it's not, uh, you know, the, the, easy, the easiest industry to, uh, to innovate. For for sure, no. I mean, if you look at the complaint, uh, the list of the complaints in Mexico or in, in typical developing country uh, of the of the of the legal entities, you would see like the of in the first top five, you would always see uh, telephone companies um, okay. and uh, at some point airlines always complain. So yes, it's a it's a very difficult industry to innovate, and typically industries or verticals that would serve a customer have tons of opportunities. But obviously, the core is to um, find, pave your way to uh, deliver a service to transport people from one place to another. So when it comes to innovation and customer service and have the perfect app, it's very hard. And I think that a very small set of airlines uh, have done great stories or great use cases in the past um, years. Okay, and that's why we created this uh, podcast because it's something difficult, and that's why we want to talk with, with people like you, uh, Juliana. The, the, the first time that we met uh, at Volaris, uh, I remember that you 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 told me about uh, something that at that time I said, "Well, this is interesting." Uh, you you mentioned the concept ancillary roadmap. Right and 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 not only the the label but the, you know the 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 the, the concept around right uh, could could you tell us a little bit about the, about that uh, the ancillary roadmap what, what was that uh, how do you define the ancillary roadmap Yes for sure so as I mentioned earlier uh, my my role was uh, to increase the revenue generation opportunities for the airline so I ca had to think of a ton of multiple ways of how to continue to generate that money. So um, what I did was generate a, a five-year roadmap, which was the North Star of, of the team and the, for the digital part of the airline in terms of uh, non-ticket revenue to maximize and understand the gaps and the opportunities the airline had. So what I, when I explained that roadmap, I said, uh, it's important for anyone to understand the uh, faces or the user experience 
phases, right? So this roadmap was essentially a plan to maximize all the products you have at the new products you were going to launch throughout two, two um, dimensions. First, the phases of booking or the phases of the user experience and all the channels and the real estate you have. So the phases of booking obviously have uh, been defined for some players or not, but for me, they were they were the dreaming phase when the user is um, navigating, thinking about booking, comparing prices or not. Then the booking, when essentially the user will book the flight in your website. The confirmation page or the confirmation moment when the booking is confirmed and the passenger number record or the PNR is uh, it's it's created. Then oh. the pre-flight, which is all the moment before, after the booking confirmation and before the flight. Then there's a check-in window, depending on where you're flying, 24, 48, 72 hours, flight and post-flight. So you have all these moments and then you have all the channels. So this roadmap essentially thought about, okay, when does it make best sense to sell a seat? When does it make best sense to sell a bag, a check-in, a bundle, um, uh, an insurance, a hotel, a car? So you come to see that uh, typically a low-cost carrier, Volaris, that was one of the that is one of the top five low-cost carriers in terms of how much ancillary um, they do uh, ancillary money they do as a percentage of total revenues. You have airlines that have more than 60, 80 products. So how do you prioritize and how do you manage the moments and the real estate you have between the the different phases or these micro moments that then you can start trickling down. And this this is the, the roadmap I built. So whenever I was trying to, you know, think about a new product or a new a new idea or a new A-B testing that I wanted to do, uh, you had to think, okay, where's the roadmap? What are the consequences of me cross-selling a car here uh, versus a new product that I'm going to launch? Like it's always a trade-off and you have to be very clear in terms of this magical roadmap on which is which was essentially like a a, a card uh, a letter to santa claus because it's almost impossible to have the perfect roadmap right yeah that's great uh do, do you think Valaris, uh, uh at this point was sort of different uh from uh you know the the industry in general some other airlines uh, would you say that 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 your role was sort of uh, very singular, or or did you find you know your 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 peers in some other airlines at that time? Yeah, it's 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 a good question. Um, I would say that within the years, I was two things. So the first thing is obviously not not all airlines are built equal. So when you when you speak to a legacy airline versus a low cost airline versus an hybrid airline, you would see that sometimes the departments are totally different from the ones you are in, right? So depending on that, I think uh, different things happen. And then oh, I think one of the factors that affects also a lot is the stage with it where the airline is in. So you have to remember, I joined the airline when it was starting to innovate and it was the first one in Mexico doing different things. So the talent the airline needed at that point was, you know, people to 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 just try and try and test and iterate and things like this. Potentially now uh, the flying wheel of Volaris is functioning perfectly well. 
So when you go to an airline that has been 100 years in the industry or uh, more than 50 years, obviously the teams, the politics, the bureaucratics are super different, which which eventually gets harder to negotiate, uh, to, to, to thrive or to innovate, sorry. So sure. when it comes to, we, specifically to your question of meeting people like me, I would say only in the subset of ultra low cost carriers and in within that subset in the top 10 like okay. airlines that would generate more than 35 36% of ancillary revenue um but it was essentially not easy like you would see people distributed and the a team in a low cost carrier that does you know 35% of the revenue would be about 5 or 6 or 7 people versus a legacy that would be around 30 or 40 so okay. Okay. every airline has its own story and it comes really hard Okay. Uh, you 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 touch uh, you know a topic that I really like uh, experiments uh, because I guess that that you had to 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 do a lot of experiments and and that uh, brings the, the also the topic of failure right because uh, you do experiments because you're not sure about uh, what's going what's going to happen right so so yeah. uh, would you say that uh, you at that time you. Volaris and your organization, uh, you guys were um, sort of allowed to to, to fail, uh, allowed to do experiments, allowed to try out uh, different things. Uh, how do you say that? How did that work? Yes, <clears throat> I think the key was that um, obviously failure was not the ideal but in my in my in my team we were very open to failure like we failed you have no idea how many times like the way we saw failure was okay once you fail you get faster to learnings and to to interactions that eventually will create value for the customer or for the company so eventually not all the products and ideas were successful some were very hard to implement given the resources or zero resources that we had some were very early to the market and did not work, did not convert. Some, some of them were very badly implemented. Some were just not attractive to the market. But ideally, all of those learnings in that, in that point or in those years helped me build stronger products, understanding the, the feedback of the users better. And I can definitely tell you that two or, two or three products that we launched that were amazing came from a set of failures. But I would say, obviously, you have to you have to be very smart when it comes to fail, right? You have to do proper A/B testings. Like um, sometimes I remember we just put some buttons in the website. Uh, for example, where we move the subscription, <clears throat> the big club subscription, which is the fur club, uh, before moving it to a membership option base to be a subscription, a monthly subscription base. Obviously, for us in our heads, it made a lot of sense to have an option of a of a membership to be able to pay a smaller fee, let's say one peso, ten pesos per month, instead of five hundred pesos per year. Uh, and as much as sometimes it makes sense for you in your in your head as a hypothesis, uh, you have to try it out. So uh, at some point, I remember for this case, we just put a button to see if users were were willing to do this. But obviously, the button or this testing was not for 100% of the traffic. It was a controlled testing and flexibility for 20, 40% of the traffic. And this is how we we iterate a lot. But you know, building these cases internally, it's never easy. You have to be able, you know, to prove your point and to have a clear hypothesis that you're gonna test. 
But if you want to innovate, you have to test and you have to fail, period. What would you say in terms of uh, being able to manage this uh, try and learn approach, this this experiment-based approach, uh, what would you say is the most important thing you have to, to take care of? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, obviously, I'm speaking from the position and the trench of the, the one that was dry, trying to drive innovation. But you're talking about very complex organizations with very complex PNLs with a lot of factors affecting. So uh, obviously you can try and learn and, and test, but eventually internally there's a huge struggle, a huge agenda that you have to understand to be able again to rally internally. So I would say I would say to be able to prioritize um, the efforts in a smart way without thinking and putting 80% of your time in execution and 20% of your time on planning. So I remember how we used to do it internally is I would build a, mat a matrix of prioritization and the prioritization would be key. So how I build this matrix and uh, I still use this matrix now for different um, for my future roles that we're going to talk about potentially f uh, further on. But it's essentially at, uh, an, in the X axis, you would have the revenue potential of the initiative that you have. And on the mm -hmm. y-axis, you have the uh, complexity. So you have nine boxes in this matrix, and you place all your initiatives there. Obviously, you're going, you want the ones that are less, less, least complex to implement, but with high revenue potential. Those are the no-brainers, right? But okay. after you finish all these all no-brainers, you have to start like figuring out how to measure the revenue potential of these other initiatives that are great and every single airline wants to implement, but the complexity is super high. And these complexities come with a lot of um, trade-offs that you have to do. So being able to measure every single initiative in the right proportion was key uh, in, 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 an, in an organization that obviously is constantly iterating and, 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 and moving fast and, and with very high stakes given that you know it's it's listed in the New York Stock Exchange, you have to be able to quickly move and say, okay, these are the 10 initiatives that we're going to focus these quarters. And you will always have a ton of other initiatives flying around that you have to be able to move and trade off. You, you covered uh, another important topic, metrics. Uh, did you have some sort of uh, North Star metric that you look at uh, you know, every time? Which one was the, the, the most important for you, if any? 100%, yes. Um, so there was a North Stark flying wheel virtue circle that was very clear for everyone in the company that I can talk about it a little bit. Uh, and it's obviously public information. But to me, as uh, ancillary revenue head responsible, there were two. Ancillary revenue as percentage of total revenue, this 35, 36, 38, I believe the airline is around 39 today. Uh, so that percentage was looked at on a daily basis or weekly basis. And okay. the second one is um, ancillary revenue per passenger. So how many okay. pesos or how many dollars would the airline have per passenger? For these two metrics, I had to live in. And obviously, I had a ton of nice ideas and initiatives, and people came to me saying, why don't we 
uh, sell on board, you know, this um, advertising of this new agency and this new hotel. And they thought it was a lot of money. But when you when when you manage such a big chunk of the of the of the total airline revenue, you have to go with the big items, right? So, or for example, with where Amazon, when Amazon and Airbnb and Booking and uh, Uber, Didi join Mexico, like for the first time, obviously they wanted to build some type of partnership with you. And the idea of execution was great, but you had to be very careful and okay, what are you going to prioritize? So my two North Star metrics, the ones that I was uh, measured every single day, every single month, and not only that, like my bonuses were part of those numbers, was that. And the good thing about that, it was was that um, it was not only... Uh, those metrics for my team. The whole company had a flying wheel, and one of the five steps of this flying wheel was more ancillary revenue. And the metrics okay. for the ancillary revenue were these two. So part of the comp- variable compensation of the company was given out of this number as well. So this way, kind of the really organization, yeah. it's super important. Obviously, there are you know a lot of things happening here and there that you have to manage when it comes to to KPIs internally, but everyone knew in the organization after some years that ancillaries were key and they were giving us our jobs. So okay, okay, that helped. Uh, Juliana, you, you, you obviously you enjoy your time at Volaris, uh, but uh, let me ask you, which is the project or the product that you enjoy the most or you, the one you feel uh, the most proud about? Yes, um, I will. I, I debate between two, but I think um, for sure the one that I enjoyed and feel most proud about is the subscription service uh, product we call VPass. Um, okay. So after many years in the airline, uh, you know, when you were already when you already implemented a bunch of initiatives um you the, the the bar gets higher right so you have to start to become smarter and how are you gonna create more revenues i mean the 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 um, the budget is here your forecast is here so i thought once why don't we create uh netflix or spotify of aviation whereby users would pay a single fee every month okay. and they had access to fly every month and um obviously it was it was a very big disruptive idea because if you if you say this in the first instance to revenue managers they would say this is an insult to my work every day (laughs) so but you started looking you know to all the different verticals uh doing uh memberships doing subscriptions and i said no one has really done this before many airlines had tried to do like a pass uh, they would sell some some airlines in Europe or in the US. They would sell you 20 tickets per year, and you ha- and you can use them with different conditions. But okay. I said no. Let's do like this: Spotify. Like you pay per month if you fly or not, like your gym, and if you use it, great. If not, not. And then as a low-cost carrier, we're gonna offer you the cheapest price for your flight. Okay. Uh, so uh, the the executive team loved the idea. Uh, we managed the, obviously the expectations with revenue managers also to see how does this product does this product fit in their 
in their tools to optimize their revenue. And okay. what we what I did was close the MVP only to domestic flights, not to the US flights. You know, okay. one one you had to choose your battles also internally to launch one. And uh, we launched this product within four months. Uh, wow. we built uh, super fast. It was an MVP that you know looked and failed perfectly well for Volaris, but we knew it had a lot of uh, things to to take to close and perfection in in the back end. But we said, let's say, launch uh, it. Let's see how. I would say that it looks pretty fast uh, because I, I guess all the the negotiation that you probably uh, went through, right? Uh, because it's like um, oh, yes, impact. yes. Obviously, we we use I use a third party vendor. I could not uh, sacrifice uh, developers working on crucial crucial ancillaries such as seeds or bags or changes that were you know a big part of the ancillary total revenue. So uh, we iterated and we just said, we're going to do it with a vendor. Let's see how the market reacts. And by far, it was the product that has grown month over month faster than any other one that that um, I launched. Um, and uh, the customer adoption has been, well, within the time I was there, great. Uh, we didn't have to put, you know, any single penny on advertising because the word of mouth was so huge. Because oh, wow. obviously it was a product thing that would think on, on, on the user needs. And obviously today, after COVID, obviously I, I left Polaris before COVID, but huh? it's an amazing product because you're looking not only at a, a, an ancillary revenue source, but also a product that would uh, create an intimate relation relationship with the airline and the customer and a loyalty and a loyalty mm -hmm. based on price and on product. And eventually, the metric to uh, to to measure this product is uh, recurrent revenue and repeated business. So, in a in a very competitive industry where people out of 50 pesos, out of three dollars, change from one airline to another, you want them to go and fly again with you. So the Absolutely. battle the battle is hard. And how will you retain them through a subscription? So you're looking at this number of repeated business per year on, on users as high as ever. Um, yeah. By far, this, this was the product that I most enjoy. I think it was super, the most innovative product in the in, in, in the airline. Very hard to implement, obviously. Um, hasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy, obviously, not only because considering that it was ticket revenue you were selling, but because you had already a layer of products that had been launched in the past, right? You had your credit cards, you had the loyalty programs, you had uh, the bundles, and then you're going to sell another product. So what is going to be your market entry strategy? How are you going to compensate the users that have been very loyal to you and have already uh, a membership with you and the credit card with you? And then how are you going to build this um value proposition for them and yeah. i love that challenge it was amazing and honestly i was very lucky to be able uh to work in in, in a phase where volaris was super hunger of of of, of these type of innovations and yeah yeah i see, and I, see. Sound service. I see i see i see enjoy it uh juliana uh, let me tell you let me ask you um do you think we are going to see uh you know 
some or many of these uh, business practices, you know, being deployed in in another type of airlines, because sometimes I don't know if you if you share this this opinion with me, but uh, it's it's like if th there was some sort of barrier between the uh, low cost carriers and the full service airlines, but uh, I would say that uh, that the natural move is 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 to blur that barrier, right? Right, but. But do you think that's going to happen? That that some, somehow uh, full service airlines uh, introducing this this type of business uh, practices in, into their businesses, or is this something that is going to be always like very different? No, I totally agree with you. The lines have been blurring for 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 many years back. I just don't know why haven't they moved faster. Uh, in my experience, I see, you know, typical legacy carriers starting to do more and more cross-selling, more and more uh, bundling, more and more different, you know, uh, strategies to of distribution to get more users to buy directly from their from their website. And uh, I just don't know why haven't they gone faster. But if you see, for example, now after COVID, there are several reports that have stated this. Uh, after well, right when COVID hit, ticket revenue went down, obviously in many airlines, but the ancillary revenue maintained somehow per passenger, obviously. So uh, of course, it to me it makes like 100% sense for airlines to start distributing their revenue sources with different verticals within the industry. I mean, they have the user that has the first intent of booking. Typically, when you travel. In general, obviously, it changes in depending on the country, but it's always the flight. So the opportunity to capture more share of wallet, it's imminent. So for sure, I mean, I've seen bigger lines, legacy airlines, airlines that have been in different markets in Europe, uh, in Asia, in, in America, um, start uh, more and more with the basics, basics okay. meaning seats, bags, etc. Do you think COVID is helping with that? Do you think COVID uh, has somehow uh, awaked, uh, you know, airlines that were sort of uh, reluctant to to incorporating this? 100%, yes. Like, definitely now, after um, airlines are, uh, you know, depending on the region, uh, struggling with the COVID effects, they have much more pressure uh, from their in investors to maximize revenues, right? So if you have one customer and you used to sell him or her this product, why don't you sell them 15? And then maybe the conversion rate is, is slow, but uh, sorry, it's not slow. Maybe the conversion rate is low, but then you can capture more share of wallet. Be it a leisure traveler, a business traveler, a leisure traveler, now this nomadic generation, 100%. There are obviously many initiatives that are no-brainers and that I see airlines doing them because it costs them zero. In this graph that I told you, like low implementation costs, yeah. low complexity and high revenues, there these these are the ones that I see people doing uh, more and more. But the, but the harder ones, capturing more share of wallet, capturing more um, value out of the leisure for, from hotels, for example, from car rental, from insurance, the equation starts getting harder. But for the basics, yes, obviously, it, it has been happening before COVID, and I see, and I see it now faster. Olena, um, uh, I'm always 
I've always been curious, uh, and, and I wanted to, to check this with you. Uh, I've seen many times that uh, when, when uh, thinking about uh, acquiring their uh, digital distribution solutions, uh, many airlines will focus very much on, on, on the back office size of the PSS. Uh, so basically, where the data is stored, but not that much. Uh, on, on the customer facing uh, side, right? On, 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 on things like the, the IBE or, or the mobile app, even the messaging platform. Uh, and I would say, well, that is where, where the fight really happens, right? That, that's where, where you attract uh, visits, where you convert them into revenue or not, where you sell ancillaries. Uh, I'd like to know uh, your opinion about that. Uh, where do you think, you know, that the, the key processes happen, and how, how, what was your approach and, and, and what was your experience? What a great question, Enric. Um, and I think my my answer has changed within time. So when I was in Volaris, I was I participated actually when we moved from one PSS to another one. And uh, it was Saber for, for Naviter. And me, as, a, as an ancillary head, having to manage different projects with, with one versus another was completely uh, different. Like, after uh, we changed from, from the old system to the new one, I was able to implement super fast. Once we got, you know, the training of the PSS, um, the facility that the user interface of, 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 of the PSS did to me by creating, you know, different fees, implementing them was, was, was a zero to one. But now after I, I have left the industry properly airlines, but now that I have like furthered and strengthened my knowledge on distribution through the hospitality side and system side, I think it's, it's, it's just a matter of, of, how can I say, um, cost, uh, how do you say um, tradition? Because typically airlines, what they do is they look to use, they look up to airlines that have good use cases. So if you see, okay, and obviously the vendors of the PSS do a good job, right? Okay, these 10 airlines are generating this much of ancillary revenue and the operational starts are here and they're using this system. Obviously, you as an airline, you want to have control. You have to have every. You want to have everything perfectly well on a dashboard and manage, uh, you know, from one from from one team to another and visible to everyone. So I think this this affects. But now that I am in the other side, uh, from outside, honestly, the airlines are the owners of the data points. The airlines know. I mean, they are moving the customer from one point to another. And they are relying so much in intermediaries for, to distribute their their product and distribute and sell and convert that really uh, I think there's a humongous opportunity on just not thinking, not giving that much weight to that decision, but really making sure that they have the proper architecture and structure between their back end and their front end to be able to convert as much. So, and also to differentiate from other customers, because when you compare yourself to uh, the top other legacy or the top other ultra-low-cost carriers, 
they're potentially using the same system than you. So the amount of effort you can do, it's the same that the other one can do. So how are you going to really build a difference in, 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 in your market, try and really converting in the front end, which is what matters, uh, not only in your desktop and responsive version of, of the website, but your app, your manage my booking uh, widget, and the mailing and all the touch points that you have are super crucial. So in a nutshell, when I was inside, I would say it was a crucial decision. Now, I do think it has some weight, but at the end, the information is there. It's just data points that if you get the right architecture done well, you can really master the personalization and, you know, build high end um, front solutions for your eventual users. Okay, so let, let me let me ask you uh, this question now. Um, let's let's talk for a minute not about airlines, but about uh, something everybody knows about Amazon, right? Would you yes. say that Amazon is warehouse oriented or customer oriented? I'd say it's customer oriented, right? Oh yes, uh, although, I mean, although, although they have, look at the flying wheel. Have, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Although they have or manage or, or own, uh, you know, like uh, thousands, I don't know, millions maybe of warehouses around the world. But do you think airlines are uh, customer centric or they are, oh, I, I, I'd say that uh, there will be differences, right? But uh, do you say that there is space for being more customer centric or yes. that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the culture of Amazon is customer obsessed, like not, not, not even centric, but customer obsessed. So for sure, there's a high, 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 high road still to walk in general for the airline industry to be more customer, customer centric. The, the, the thing is that when you are in the, when you're obviously inside an airline and you understand the complexity of a business, um it's 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 harder to 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 see that uh those steps right uh and then if you look at the competitive landscape and all the politics that are involved between one country and another uh sometimes it's just a matter of that you know politics and regulations and you have to you know figure how out to how, to, yeah. how to be alive and then the user the traveler who is just you know uh, complaining because he wanted to check his bag and he didn't pay and then he's just complaining because it's super expensive but you know the airline was trying to give them opportunities hey you should check now uh, buy your bags before and then the, the the customer experience in the airport you know a lot of things that are not fully responsible of the airline but in essence, the airline absorbs that responsibility because it's, you know, your your gate, your airport, yours. So now there's obviously a lot of, 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 of ways still to innovate. And airlines have, I think, to be very smart on how to put the resources they have on making the differentiation, essentially in customer experience. But in terms of operation, they are masters of, of you know, getting you safe from one point to another. And, absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. And that's good. And that's good, obviously. Uh, sure, absolutely. Juliana, uh, would you say that uh, you, you left the industry or you're still, you're, you're not with Olaris anymore, but uh, you say that you left the industry or you're still with us? Uh, so my, my hardest is 
half right now. But uh, I mean, yes, I left. I left Polaris before COVID, um, and the reason I left bec is because it has a lot to do with with my passion in terms of um, you know innovation. When I after, obviously after my years at Polaris, and I I will always be super grateful for 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 that company and the leaders I had there. I learned that there's a humongous opportunity in the hospitality industry. So uh, once the airline was, you know, generating almost 38% of total revenue as ancillaries, like I started to look much more in the hospitality industry mm. only to realize that the opportunity is a hundred times bigger there in distribution, in revenue management, in marketing, in uh, control, in trust and transparency. So uh, at the end of my career in Volaris, I launched uh, uh, an OTA for the company, uh, and yeah. I started talking very, very to have very intimate conversations with big hotel chains in the country and in the region to realize that um, how I saw it at that point it was that the hospitality industry is many years behind the aviation industry, and if I see opportunities in the aviation industry. Uh, I was wrong. Like in the hospitality industry, there are a ton more. So I decided to make a career move to learn okay. more about about uh, the hospitality industry. I joined um, a hospitality startup, and then uh -huh. um, huh? can you tell us? Can you tell us about them? Of course. So I joined the hospitality startup, uh, and when I was there. I, from the from the hotel perspective, I also learned a ton, not only from the seller and the distributor perspective, but from the hospitality perspective, when it comes to distribute your hotel, distribute your rooms, it's 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 such an untransparent um, horizon and ecosystem that essentially works only to to give money or to give revenues to the intermediaries and the gatekeepers. So there, when I was there in this company, I was invited to join um, a distribution uh, startup uh, that would uh, solve for the problems that were when I was in Volaris and when you I was in this hotel company. Juliana, but I, I'm just uh, really curious. Do they have a name? Of course. So the company, the company I was invited to is Catanox. It's oh, okay. a young company. Uh, it's based in Amsterdam and I'm working there today. Uh, okay. It's a company that has a product that I would always wanted from the hotel side and from the, the airline side as a seller. So, okay. um, uh, you know, after my experience cross-selling and in, in, in the hotel, I said to myself, listen, this industry needs a better distribution landscape. So essentially Catanox. Um, what what Catanox is trying to do is cutting the middle middlemen through APIs that facilitates okay. direct deals between hotels and travel sellers, such as airlines, but travel management companies as well, or independent OTAs, publishers. And the core is essentially to bring, bring transparency and trust to both parties of the equation, hotels and sellers. Uh, very good, great, uh, Juliana. Well, uh, it's been great. Thank you, thank you very much uh, for for you being with us uh, today. Uh, you know, uh, good luck. Uh, I think that you, you're going to do a great job by by uh, implementing all you learned uh, in the airline industry uh, now with with the hospitality industry. 
And thank you very much. Uh, I think that uh, that your new venture uh, deserves uh, another another podcast itself. <laughs> so yes, for sure. So, uh, let's meet again uh, anytime soon. And uh, thank you very much for for joining us today. Enric, thank you so much for the time for your audience. It was a pleasure uh, speaking to you of a topic that is dear in my heart. And hope to see you soon in person, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, next year, probably. Bye-bye. Absolutely. I hope you liked the episode. And if you did, please like, subscribe, and share. And stay tuned for more. Bye.